This podcast features three supposed adults who definitely use adult language. They're also supposedly writers who are definitely not procrastinating by making this podcast. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to No Bad Ideas, the storytelling game show where we take the worst ideas from the internet and try to turn them into stories that are actually good. My name is Gabriel Urbina and I am your first Bad Ideas host. My name is Sarah Shackett, I'm your second Bad Ideas host. And my name is Zach Valenti, your third Bad Ideas host. And today we are joined by a special guest star. I have no idea how we managed to convince someone of their repute and renown to come be on this show and to discuss the worst ideas from the internet as they are responsible for some of the best audio ideas currently on the internet. They are the audio tailor of Articles of Interest and the force behind so many other amazing shows. It's Avery Truffleman. How are you doing? I'm Ooh. so great. Thank you. That was such a... <laughs> I was like, you know exactly how I got on this show. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so honored. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Of course. Avery, for anyone that might be listening to us that has not yet found your oeuvre do you want to just give the like very quick 30 second download on what articles of interest is yeah uh articles of interest is a podcast about fashion for people who think they don't care about fashion i used to work at this show called 99 percent invisible which is about architecture and design and it was a spin-off of that so it's kind of like 99 percent invisible but for close and like that thing that you just described, that exactly happened to me. Like I heard you were doing that show and I went, well, I don't care about fashion. I'm not going to listen to this. And then I heard one episode and I went, oh, God, I care about fashion oh, a no. lot. It turns now out. you care about fashion. Yes. <laughs> You've got the disease. <laughs> so highly, highly recommended. Even oh, if it sounds you. like it's not your thing, I guarantee it is your thing. It is fantastic. It's so funny. I used to think of fashion as like a dirty word that, it, you know, that it immediately invokes just like Zoolander. But when you think mm -hmm. about it, like everything has fashion. Cars have fashion furniture has fashion absolutely it's, it's kind of interesting that clothing is the only thing we apply the f word to right where it's, <laughs> where it's fashion instead of style yeah 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 well said well said you're lucky this isn't a clean show we'd have to bleep all that fashion talk <laughs> it will be the last thing that is well said because i have the first idea and for anyone who has not heard No Bad Ideas before, what we do here is certain ones of us find terrible things that people have done, contemplated, thought up on the internet. We bring them to our friends and we have 10 minutes, just 10 short minutes to try and turn those stories into the start of a good story, a movie, a comic book, a fashion line, whatever it may be. <laughs> and so the first thing that I have for you all is from... The English language uh, Japanese newspaper, Kyoto News. Okay. The headline is delightful. It does what it says on the tin. So I will just read that to you. And it says, a man, a Japanese man, mistakenly sent 46.3 million yen in COVID funds and gambles it all away. Oh, <laughs> it okay. hurts. It hurts me. Oh, God. There's a couple delightful layers to this. So a 24-year-old man mistakenly uh -huh. sent 46.3 million yen, which breaks out to around $360,000, not million dollars. But sure, still, sure. you know. No, yeah. Nothing to sneeze at. 
Nothing to sneeze at. You can buy a house. More um, money than I make in a decade. It's okay. It's fine. So he was sent this amount of money in COVID uh, relief money by the Western Japanese town he resides in has said that he gambled it all away on overseas casino <laughs> sites. So, so like the way that we got checks from first Trump and then Biden, and mm-hmm. most of us got checks for like $1,000, he mm-hmm. got a check for $300,000. So, on April 6th, procedures to transfer 100,000 yen, which is about $800 okay. in COVID-19 relief money, were put in place to send to each of the 463 low-income households in Abu in Yamaguchi Prefecture. A town official mistakenly submitted a single transfer request to a financial institution for 46.3 million yen for the man whose name was at the top of his list. <laughs> the entire amount was transferred to his bank account on April 8th. The man is unlikely to be able to return the money transferred to him in error by the town of Abu, according to his lawyer, who said a resolution through litigation is being considered. Oh, God. Wow. Speaking at a press conference on Monday, the lawyer said that the man told him that he had moved the money out of his account using his smartphone. The lawyer said that the man lives alone and no one else is believed to be involved in the matter. Uh Uh-huh. So last Thursday, the the town of Abu sued the man for around 51 million yen for the full return of the funds plus legal fees. According to the town, the man has refused to return the money, saying it was, this quote is why I brought this idea to you all, quote, moved from my account and cannot be returned. I will atone for my sins. (laughs) Oh, it's a it's perfect. That's perfect. Isn't it just as likely that he took all the money out, converted it into gold and like buried it in his yard or is like planning some sort of beautiful Robin Hood redistribution of the money like later? Yep. I think that is entirely possible. <laughs> um, there's not too like much else to this article. It. Listeners, you can go look at it if if you want to. It'll be linked in the episode description. But I'm going to put 10 minutes on that timer and tell me more about this hidden gold. I just want to say very quickly, no matter what we end up doing, it may not be right for this, but I Will Atone for This is a great title for like a television series. Um, Yeah, you know, in the tradition of I will destroy you, you know, like I will atone for this. I think excellent title for something. So can I ask us for a collective refresh of the seven deadly sins? Just quick. (laughs) For inspiration. We need a mood board. Pride, uh, sloth, lust, lust, uh, wrath, gluttony, greed, and envy. Envy, yeah. Yeah. Okay, I feel like greed is the obvious one here if he chose to YOLO this. <laughs> but I feel like now's the time to make a more creative choice. Yeah, overseas cause online casinos is such a sad way to lose all of that money. I feel like we can do something better than this. Mm-hmm. Although I feel like it's so, you know, they're so on the cusp of becoming legal yeah. in so many states. I feel like it's True. really about to be a part of our culture. I feel like in the same way, because I agree with you. This is not to this is not to shame. I feel like culturally, this has been considered a very degenerate thing, but it almost reminds me of like pot, you know, like ah, yeah. smoke and reefer. And then it's like becomes legal slowly but surely all across the country. And it's just like mm-hmm. a part of life. And so I just think that it's going to be like a regular area of discussion and like part of our culture. It's going to be a very interesting 15 years that we're coming up on. Absolutely. (laughs) So the kind of sympathetic hook that I have here, and I think that that's maybe the only way in which I use the word sympathetic in the story is I have maybe about three times in my life found myself in a position where I'm supposed to get, say, $500 from some kind of institution and um, I get 800. And when, because 
I have guilt complex as I very gingerly go to the institution and go, hey, I'm really sorry you gave me 300 more dollars than I was supposed to get. Uniformly, they have gone, number one, never tell anyone else. Number two, spend it. Because if we are on record as having like, had you spend all that money, we can give more money to more people. Interesting. So maybe this man in the film, in the television series, he's awaiting $1,000. He gets 300000 And he's had a similar experience happen a couple of times. And so he goes, well, the good ethic Christian thing to do is to spend it all so that more people will get more money, so that the budget office will see that like this relief money is spent. I, I, I like that. I think we need to put a timer on it if if it's going to go that way, that he has like oh, yes, 48 absolutely. hours to spend $300,000 or something like that. So this is just going to be a remade for the digital era update on leaving Las Vegas, isn't it then? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not opposed. <laughs> Yeah, so I guess that is the next question, like sort of like what is either an interesting set of things for the man to do with the money or if we are going by the way of the like digital metaverse casino, what is kind of an interesting game for him to be playing or what is an interesting thing that he could want more money out of this in order to buy or something? I mean, the the casino is interesting is because if his goal is to get rid of the money and he starts winning and gets even more <laughs> like then he has the, the most unique problem that anyone has ever had. Right. Then it's like the producers. Then he like, exactly. right. right. Oh, I love that. I love that. He discussed like, this is a man that's been unlucky his entire life, but has never played the lottery, has never like no. taken a chance. And now that he needs to get rid of this money, well, what's the most irresponsible thing that I can do? Gamble it. Midas right. touched. Now, does he yeah. gamble it at a casino or is he like many in this world? People who watch YouTube and have come across this character who maybe you haven't heard of called Mr. Beast, whose entire premise at some point was just giving away larger sums of money, which mm. gave him more hey. views, which gave him more power with advertisers, which just created this like ridiculous feedback oh. loop about how much money he was able to be quoted in the title of the video which was like the whole strategy for this thing. And now it's like a subgenre of YouTube is people just like giving X amount of money away to Y person. If wow. like, does this guy like get this money and go, oh my God, I always wanted to like be a sort of like money giveaway or YouTuber. And like the risk <laughs> is it doesn't like work <laughs> out. Like, like the camera wasn't recording or like the file gets corrupted or something. I don't know. I could sort of uh, complicate that if uh, we like to go down this direction. Does he live in a city or was it a town? It's a small town, right? Small town. The original article, it's a small town. And didn't he get all the money that was intended for everybody in the area? Yeah. <laughs> Basically, yeah. Basically, oh, no. yes. <laughs> so that's the thing. Like, it's it's uh, it's almost kind of perfect, right? Because you have all this money, but you're in such a small town and presumably, like, the bank is small. Yeah. Like, everything is small. You can't go buy, like, new shoes because people exactly. will be like, hey, what's up? So Hey, well, wait a minute. Yeah, exactly. So. So it's kind of an interesting conundrum. Right, right. He can't convert it into gold. He, maybe he like tries, you know, like tries to find ways to hide it and, right, and get rid the, of it. Right, but the person who runs the, the pawn shop that would have all the gold is his uncle. And so like, <laughs> he can't, you know, you can't do this on the down low. Yeah, yeah. And he, he maybe he aspires to give away money one day. But in the meantime, he has to hold it, hide it, save it. 
Yeah, I think the more that we talk about it, I think you're correct, Sarah, that there needs to be some mechanism for 48 hours from now, the bank account needs to be empty again. Yeah. He's in the middle of an audit. He's in the middle of something. Yeah. And it's one of these things where, like, if this is not gone in 48 hours, it'll be bad. Or the other thing is it could not be an accident. He could be in cahoots with someone who works in the local government and maybe there's like a love affair in there. Maybe it's not an accident. And I love that they, they they need to like make sure they can keep these funds away and hide them. And that would be like maybe the twist at the end, you know, like the end of Inside Man is like they've sure. all been working on this this whole uh, time. Like by the ooh. end of the, you know, end of the story, they look around and he's not there. And it's all right, been this right, giant right. orchestrated thing because it doesn't sound like an accident. I, I really it. like I this. It. Yeah. You could even do like in setting up that big reveal, like the sort of fake setup where there was somebody else who was planning it and there's like one letter difference in their names. Yeah. But like at the yeah. end we find out they like you thought they, they were, were just like, uh, yeah, like sort of dumbly struck by this. But no, they were in on it even deeper. I love that. I think that's tremendous. Have any of you seen the movie Ned Div- Waking Ned Divine? Yes. Yes. I feel like this has those vibes. It's uh, (laughs) just like light spoilers. It's charming movie. Basically, a guy dies in a small village with a winning lottery ticket. And the town has to like kind of pretend he's not dead to share in the Ah. winnings of this historic lottery. It's a very particular kind of film. It's like a heartwarming grifter movie, like shoplifters (laughs) and to a degree um, parasite when you're just like, aw, like everyone's in the hoax together. Like I can imagine it being a heartwarming grift. Exactly. I I think there should be a genre that gets expanded upon. I don't think that there's enough in the heartwarming (laughs) grifter movie collection. Right, especially when it brings like, if if this is still set in a small town, like Bringing, bringing lots of people together um, and maybe like the mayor is horrible, but they can't get them out. And so this is their way to sort of actually unfreeze the funds that are meant to help the sure. community and stuff like that. I just I just still really want somehow and it could be deeply shoehorned, but I do want that scene of them trying to like blow money at the casino and failing horribly. I think that, that has such comedic set piece possibilities. They go to the blackjack table and they're just going, hit me, hit me, hit me, hit me. They get 21 with like 11 cards. Okay. They get all the twos and the threes in a row. Everyone is horrified. You know is. No one more than them. So here, here's here's a pitch. Because of the debacle of, you know, getting money to people who need it that we've experienced in the past two years, they get the first like central, like it's it's real government money, but it is like, on the multi, whatever, it's like a crypto, you know, it's like digital money. Blockchain. Oh, no. um, yeah. And so he's like confused with how to use it. Like he maybe is in real life. Like it, he's like, did I transfer it? Is it even on the phone? Like, where is uh-huh. it? Is it inside the computer like Zoolander? <laughs> and and then his little cousin comes over and is like, no, nah, just like this. And is like doing it really fast. And it's like, look, we can just like take it to the casino. He's like, no, 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 don't. And of course he like keeps pressing like the button to bet it and just like is unable to lose being like a magical child, you know, sort of risk averse hero is like, uh, see, for once, I actually like the inclusion of crypto and blockchain in a story because here it adds stakes in terms of if there's only 48 hours to do something, it's like, all right, we're going to figure out crypto 12 hours later. Oh my God. I think we now finally know <laughs> enough of the basics to be able to handle this. Like, you know, it immediately eats up a sizable chunk of the limited time that the heroes have thus raising the stakes. (laughs) Well, on that stake raise, that is time. 
Ah. So we'll have to debate whether or not to include a crypto montage later. <laughs> um, that was delightful, y'all. Well done. That was a very good find, Sarah. My God. I'd watch the hell out of that movie. Well, um, I hope that uh, you play your cards right in the justice system if you end up in it, because otherwise it's going to be hard to watch the movie in this next story. Um, oh, boy. Please join me uh, over at vice.com. That was, that was a good segue, Sack. That was nice. Uh, Y'all are very good at segues. It's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see what you think when we're done with a uh, link in the description. The secret world of tiny phones that go inside your butt. Uh, I, know I, where they, I know where we're going and I don't like it. In the early 2000s, mobile manufacturers tried to make handsets as small as possible. In the 2010s, smartphones were sold on how big their screens were. In 2016, mm -hmm. the tide might now be turning once again. Apple's, it's an old, old story, but a goodie and still mm -hmm. relevant. Unfortunately, <laughs> I, I found out about this whole technology from uh, a more recent review of these phones and just found a, a better news article about it. So uh, Apple's newest phone at the time, uh, iPhone SE, uh, boasts a relatively minuscule four-inch screen, but Apple has some distance to cover before they even closely catch the Zanko Fly with a 0.66 inch screen. The Fly is apparently the world's smallest mobile phone. It's not the only <laughs> nano phone in existence, but they're all made by companies you've never heard of and won't find in major electrical retailers. You might, however, find them stuffed among chargers for Nokia 3210s, uh, uh, your local phone's unlocking booth, and they're all over Amazon and eBay. They cost about 40 bucks. Some features, like the three-day standby, seem rather good. But if you're really wondering what edge these phones have over the latest touchscreens, try getting a Samsung Galaxy 4, a Note 4, up your ass. Yeah, concealability, that's the selling point. Yep. If you haven't already guessed, these phones are going up prisoners' buttholes. If you think this sounds like wild extrapolation, after all, lipsticks are around the same size and you don't get articles about whacking those up here in other regions, uh, have a look at how some of these phones are sold. Many, for instance, claim to be 100% plastic or come with a, quote, beat the B-O-S-S, -S, beat the boss tagline, which is to say they claim to be undetectable by body orifice scanners. Amazon customer reviews for various uh, brown phones range from the subtle to the straightforward. One reviewer reports that the phone is, quote, very small and easy slash painless to hide, but is concerned that the model isn't 100% plastic, so won't necessarily beat the boss. Uh, they give the phone just one star, quote, as I imagine that most people want a phone like this for a certain purpose. Another user, Sean, is more blunt. In a five-star review deemed, quote, helpful by 23 people, he notes, quote, <laughs> no anal problems. Didn't hurt my bum at all. Thanks, guys. Smiley face. Wow. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, my God. Similar phones huh. were uh, in the news back in 2013 when handsets shaped like BMW key fobs, also largely plastic and in a convenient pellet shape, appeared. Those key fob phones are apparently illegal now, if only due to trademark infringement of that BMW logo. But phones in prisons remain a big problem. In January, it was reported that seizures of mobile phones had hit a new high in England and Wales. Almost 10,000 phones or SIMs had been confiscated in one 12-month period, significantly outnumbering drug confiscations. 
I think you get the idea. The article goes on to interview uh, the hard to track down manufacturers of said What's phones. That? You don't want to go deeper in the subject? <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> um, let's uh, stay on the surface with this one, shall we? Um, apparently, <laughs> the people who actually sell the phones are like, yeah, you'd be an idiot to put that up there. It's like not rated for that. We don't even test it for like whether it'll beat machines. Just like don't do that keeps selling it knowing exactly what it's for <laughs> yeah so, uh i think we can all agree the real bad idea is the injustice of our so-called justice system with that i put 10 minutes but on the clock on what to do with <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. but like it's funny that you say that about the manufacturer because that is exactly where i was going to take this because awesome. i want to take this very far away from the actual physical application so my pitch would be some disgraced marketing executive. He's lost his job in Madison Avenue because he's done some bad things. He's trying, looking for a comeback. He gets sent to work with this failing mobile phone company. They're the only ones that'll hire him. And he realizes what the main selling point of the tiny phones that they manufacture is. And all of a sudden, it's the world's weirdest game of taboo, where you kind of have to figure out a marketing campaign that reaches your potential customers and really delivers upon what they're looking for without actually just coming out right and saying what the high concealability that these phones offer is. And so it sort of is a movie about this guy trying to figure out how to market products without just coming out and saying what they actually are doing. So a highly illegal version of Mad Men, I guess, is where I'm getting at. Yeah, and it's it certainly would be a movie and not a Mad Men length series, because I my one thing with that is I'm not sure how long you can sustain it. Very short period. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, the other thing, I feel like there are industries like this, you know, for a yes. long, long time until cassettes, you know, came back in vogue. That was mostly being used by the prison population because in most penitentiaries, CDs were not allowed because like someone yep. one time broke a CD and like used it as a sharp object. And right. so like, right. Cassettes cassette, way less lethal. And so cassette manufacturers basically stayed in business for people who were incarcerated. <sighs> and it's interesting because that didn't like need an advertising campaign. It was just like, well, this is the way you do it like for this huge section of the american population like if you yeah. want to listen to music this is what it is so i don't know i mean see what you're getting at in a sort of like kinky boots way like oh i have this sure. thing for this specific population but i feel like realistically you know this is a market that doesn't require a lot of advertising right right no, it's, I'm, I'm not gonna make the captive market pun but it's there. Ooh. No, no, no. no. Uh, it would also, Avery, this is an unusually high level of real world knowledge yeah. for no bad ideas. Like we just <laughs> want to point out, like this was a lot more of a like proper actual world download than we ever do with these stories. And to ground it in realism, to ground it in yeah. realism, you go with absurdism where it's like, okay. all right, so we know what these phones are used for and we haven't had to do an advertising campaign in decades, <laughs> but we need to move <laughs> units. Like Can we've I never used them. One second, one second. I promise yeah, yeah. it has a stupid payoff. No, 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 um, please. <laughs> we gotta go full Tide Pod. <laughs> it's like, what? It's like, well, look, we want to move more units. We gotta create demand. You gotta play up that mm. it's like, look, the prison boot camp workouts did better when we made them seem like they were grittier. So now it's like, mm. you like Tide Pods and poisonous cleaning products for your viral TikToks? Let me up you with a cell phone you really didn't need for your butt. I see. <laughs> You were going to say something real, Sarah. You both surprised and anticipated a little bit what I was going to propose. Somehow both. <laughs> um, because what my thought is, 
we sort of <laughs> infer the use case for these. And I think it, there, there might be comedy in either someone trying to market them for a different purpose, like for a TikTok trend or for small animals or, you know, some, some other like very, very separate population and either it backfiring or working too well and the problems that arise <laughs> then if like all of the, all of the 12 year old TikTokers are, you know, juggling tiny phones or whatever. And then I think there's, there's room to be had with supply chain issues that we're dealing with now of like there's sort of a set demand and then suddenly when you need to make a lot of these very quickly that probably don't work as well those were the thoughts that i had good thoughts i feel like it would to me it would not be the a plot as much as it would be the b plot and the means mm -hmm. to some other sort of end i can imagine you know you mentioned the prison boot camp workout like people <laughs> who were incarcerated decide to start some sort of business yeah based around the fetishization of their past like say a phone sex hotline that's all yeah. with like hot buff inmates and they're like oh but we got to get these guys the phones right and so right, we got to right. teach them how to put phones up their butts and it's all about and what you know and like huge taboo about uh getting uh men in touch with their with their butts they have to have a whole lesson mm -hmm. about it you know <laughs> comedy oh, ensues yeah. <laughs> they have to learn how to operate these these phones but i feel like it'd be yeah a bit of like i love that because that gives us like a core group of characters a core yes. group of characters and yeah. they have to learn how to like get their sexy persona on for the exactly. phone sex hotline and also then they find really at like the this. end that it's keeping them comfort and like they're getting mm -hmm. more out of it than than they thought they would yes. they start building real connections with people i love that i imagine that at first it would be a very steep tough sell to go mm -hmm. to the burliest biggest dude in the prison yard and be like hey it's gonna sound crazy but and by the end, there's been sort of this whole arc of, yeah, no, like they have like really evolved personally and emotionally from doing that work. I really, really quite like this pitch. I am shocked at how much I like this pitch, given where we started. But I think <laughs> and maybe it's really, there's like really a good. showdown in the middle of it, you know, about like mm -hmm. archetypes and fetishization yes. and being like, you don't know who I really am. I don't know. I think I that's like tremendous. This. I think that's awesome. I like this a lot. Because to sort of go that emotional distance, it would conflict with like the tropes that are driving the business potentially. And so like there kind of has to be a choice between um, the money making aspect of it and sort of this deeper emotional connections that are being made. Or also I, I can also imagine some sort of confrontation be like, well, why do you want to talk to some guy who's in prison? Like what you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. what is it that you think I who I am and what is it that you think I've done? You know, and why and, is that attractive? And like, why is that right. like a thing you're looking for? Who is the main character? Like, who is the person that begins this scheme? Also, Zach, how much time? Do I was about to say left? in the uh, two and a half minutes you have left, I'd love okay, to know wonderful. like the core four. If there's like it's, it a, feels it's a white like collar, a wimpy white collar crime guy slowly uh -huh. approaching all the people with the sexiest voices on the uh -huh. yard. <laughs> and it's very intimidating. And he has to tell them about his friend's phone company and how it works. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. No, I, and we can like make it one brother inside and one brother outside so that there's oh, like, uh, a personal boom. connection there. Yeah, that's great. And at, this is, of course, after they have been arrested for swindling this one small town in Japan out of all of their <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> the sequel. Oh, beautiful. That's amazing. <laughs> and, I, and I also imagine now that we've sort of talked about it a little bit more, there might actually be a disconnect between the people that have the sexiest voices in their prison mm -hmm. and the people that project the image that they want to kind of oh, like yeah. be selling. Like there might even sort of be some bridges to cross there of they need to 
approach some people for one aspect of the operation, but the people that have the best voices are not necessarily the people that you would expect to have the best voices for something like this. It's a real speed bump when they try to transition away from voice only. Mm, Wow. Yeah. Then you're in you're in a Cyrano situation where you have like a big buff guy with a tiny voice. The boy cam. I love it. There you go. There you go. Wow. Right, they need to keep sort of having like reasons for their mouths to be covered so somebody else can be right off screen saying their lines. Uh, so can we get a maybe a, a, a temp casting on our leads and p- perhaps a title in the last 50 seconds? Oh, Lord. In the hole. Wait, in the hole. I like. in the hole. <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's, it's got layers. Yeah, it, delivers. Kinda, it kind of asserts itself. Oh, boy. And in terms of casting, I'm just doing like a very fast. What is this gentleman who is the head, who's the lead actor in Severance? He was in Parks and Rec. Oh, Adam Scott. Adam Scott, I think, could be a good white collar, oh, like great. mastermind yeah. for something like this. Absolutely. And then, of course, you find out he's been like skimming money off the top the whole oh, time. Yeah. He's been just like, oh, well, yeah. he can't stop himself. No. And that's time. Goddamn. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. <laughs> for bringing uh, this miles from where we started to a much better place. Yeah, I think we're also now going to have to spend 10 minutes trying to figure out what is the content warning that needs to go at the top of this episode. <laughs> oh my because God. I know we need one, but I don't know what it is. Hello there, Zach Valenti jumping into this episode with this brief reminder that we have an active Patreon page to support the production of No Bad Ideas and all the other crazy worlds we're building behind the scenes. To check that out, scope the sweet rewards we offer for monthly subscriptions as well as how to sign up yourself. Head on over to nobadideaspodcast.com support. Once more, that's nobadideaspodcast.com slash support. If you already support the show, we so appreciate that. And regardless, thank you for listening. All right, let's get back to more No Bad Ideas. All right, everybody, welcome back to No Bad Ideas with our special guest star, Avery Truffleman. Avery, now that we have subjected you to what we do on this show and the badness and the terrible thoughts and all these things, we would now like to turn to the complete diametrical opposite, which is the things that you do on your shows, which is quite outstanding work. And I guess the first thing that we wanted to ask you was just kind of, how did you find your way to the dark neighborhood that is podcasting? Sort of how, out of all the things that you could have done, how is it that you have ended up in these dark waters? That's so funny. Do you feel like they're dark waters? Do you feel like we live in a in a <laughs> dark metropolis? I think that we're going... Uh, my sort of personal feeling is that 
podcasting. I am going to try to get through this metaphor without saying the word Old West. Okay. But <sighs> I feel that it is a Good luck. country where what is fun and interesting about it is also what is dangerous about it. The fact that it is sort of this only partially discovered terrain where there is a lot of unknown variables around every corner, even as we sort of try to bring in the things that are fascinating about not only radio and kind of the audio things that have gone before it, but also ultimately television and film and literature and kind of the other more established forms of media into it and try to kind of reconcile these things. Without, you know, yeah, gentrifying it or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, I, that's the thing that's that I think is the darkness sometimes is like there's, you know, memes of like where in Brooklyn you live if you have a podcast. And <laughs> like what kind. So there's the cliche that's developed, even though really interesting, innovative work is being done. Yeah. No, I mean, I it's so funny. I came to podcasting just be, through radio. Like I always knew I wanted to work in radio and mm. my parents met working in radio and they were always like, that's a fun job that you can totally do, you know, while you're oh, like. Wow. finding yourself in your 20s i was like cool i would love to do that it's funny actually today i just found this old profile of my mom in the 80s with like her big wow. hair cutting tape with a knife is like so cool and so i think when i was a kid that's all i wanted to do and i just listened to the radio all the time i loved the radio i loved like the public service of the radio i love that you didn't know what anyone looked like mm-hmm. on npr people were like who is lakshmi singh like what right. could she possibly look like <laughs> And, Who uh, is and, Carl Cassell? Yeah, exactly. It was like, oh, and it, and it like doesn't matter. I don't know. It was very, it was very romantic to me. But then I, I just couldn't get a job in radio, which is kind of interesting. You know, when you think like there are only so many hours in a day, there are only so many stations on the yeah. dial, and there are only so many jobs at those stations for those hours on those. Di- there's just like they all got sort of filled up and whenever anyone had a job in radio they stayed in it for decades so basically i um moved to the outskirts of town and found this dark (laughs) this dark world (laughs) amazing it was a very happy accident it was a super happy accident that's awesome what was the first podcast that was spearheaded by you like what was kind of like the first project where you know naturally you worked on a couple things and brought your own stamp and your own personality to it but what was kind of your first thing where you were behind the genesis of it Mm, i don't know i mean i really so like i started working for 99 percent invisible and we were just i was the third person it was like roman mars sam greenspan and me the intern and each one of you making it 33 percent invisible yeah (laughs) Correct. (laughs) Entirely. That's truly what it felt like because we had just done this Kickstarter that was like, we're going to do a show every week. And we were sort of like, ah, fuck you guys. Like, we got to come up with a show every week. And so it was just kind of like, go. I I mean, I would just be like, what about that? And, you know, be like, surely there's a story behind that. You know, it was a little like, I love lamp. I love desk. Like, okay, sure. Like, run, do it. So it's funny, like, even the the show... We, we, we know nothing about the perils of successful fundraising. Uh, this is completely <laughs> unrelatable to us. Yes. Right, you, like, you want it so badly, and then you, you know, careful what you wish for. Someone's like, okay, yeah. now do it all the time. Why did I help people do this to myself? <laughs> And so, you know, it's funny, like, I was a huge fan of 99% Invisible before I started, but it was very like catches catch can, sort of like right. this mysterious man named Mormon Mars, like makes it whenever he feels like it. And I feel like as it came out more regularly, 
I think a lot of it was because Roman was such a generous boss and sort of mm-hmm. let me do whatever I wanted and was very trusting and very open. But I did feel like that was sort of a co-creation, even though it wasn't like my show. And every episode sure. that I did was just like, I wouldn't be able to say like what I brought to it, but I feel like there's like, there's something, I don't know. I like to think that I left my my mark on, as much as it marked me, I like to think that I marked it as well. For sure. So I don't know. I mean, you can't help it when it's like, I love lamp. It's like, okay, well now the show is about lamps a little bit. Yeah, exactly. And not only is it about when it's lamp, when the show is I love lamp, lamp is a character and you are also a character. I don't know. I just felt very embedded in in a lot of the stuff. And like I worked there for seven years. So I know that probably is not the answer you were looking for, but I do. I I was not looking for a particular answer. I was genuinely open. That's true. That's journalism. That's true. I'm curious, do you sort of, did you sort of think about that early work? Like, it's just, I'm making radio that lives on the internet. Or was there something particularly podcasty that you feel gives you license to do things you couldn't do on the radio? Oh, man. I think about this all the time. I think about this all the time. Well, like, especially when it first started, I was like, oh my God, you can cuss. Like, that's so (laughs) amazing. Like, you can cuss. And at the time, I mean, it was like, it was like pirate radio. We're just using whatever music we wanted. Like, before Mm -hmm. we were like, oh, we should get like legal clearance for all this stuff see dark waters this is what i'm talking about it was dark dark waters waters. (laughs) or a fair use that's those are the dark waters dark waters of fair use but at the time it just felt like so it felt so free but i think like truly i just love radio i mean it was really great good fortune because i was like Mm -hmm. i'll just do anything i mean i was applying to i was applying to jobs at Alaska Public Radio to be a correspondent for the fishing industry. I was like, whatever, like, I'll do anything. And it was just like applying to, I was like, economics, fish, like, whatever. I'll cover whatever (laughs) you want. I just love interviewing people. I love working in radio. I love cutting tape. It's like one of my favorite things to do. I just love every single part of it. And 99PI was sort of like, okay, if this doesn't work, then I don't know. Maybe I, maybe this was a dumb idea. Then maybe there's just no room for me in this world. So in a weird way, that was sort of the first motivation is like, I have to make it work. I just have to. And, and, and it was in a weird way, it was kind of good because I didn't know anything about architecture. And so one, it made me unafraid to ask the really stupid questions to really smart people. But also I just remember I was like quickly reading as much as I possibly could could and watching every documentary I could get my hands on to try to teach myself. And it's funny, that's how I feel about fashion now. I'm like really working there. It was it was funny. After about five years of working at 99PI, I was like, oh, weird. I think I know too much about architecture now. I was like <laughs> name dropping with the architects. We were like, and we all know, as Adolf Luce once said, I was mm-hmm. like, oh, this doesn't work anymore. Like I'm too yeah. in it now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know, in a weird way, Yeah, I think it was a one-two punch of like needing to prove that I could do it for myself and also needing to prove that I could do it, I think made the work better. Sort of the archetype of the the fool in the tarot card that was like 100% where I was with it. But Well, and I think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier about the show about fashion for people that don't think that they are interested in it. Because I think that there is kind of this like running thread throughout a lot of the work of yours that I've heard so far of... It feels really aimed at people who have curiosity and kind of an open-mindedness, but not yet kind of that technical knowledge. Whereas I think that so much about podcasting, we've been programmed to kind of be, yes, there are the architecture podcasts. So that for those people who have done, you know, four years of architecture school and then three years of internship and then two years of experience over here, they can really geek out in this tiny corner of it. And part of what 99PI and Articles of Interest and these other shows that I think 
are really outstanding is that they has a little bit more of an attitude of, have you ever wondered this thing, but you have no idea where to start? Come on board. Like, we'll take care of you. We'll do right by you. That is such a good connection to make. And I feel like, yeah, that is the public radio bit because Roman also started in public radio and 99PI initially, you know, when I started, we were broadcasting on KLW. And so it's this whole idea of like, well, we're being served up to a general populace. We have to make them care. We can't assume that it will just attract people who are already in the know. So yeah, definitely. I would say that's really woven in to the, the DNA of how I learned to make stuff. Now you're making more articles of interest soon, right now? Question mark? Possibly? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if all goes according to plan, hopefully this fall. Amazing. How much can you tell us about this plan? Is there any small preview that we can get? The answer can be no, but I have to ask. I I really appreciate you asking. I don't want to say what it's about, but mm-hmm. it's all going to be about one topic, which I've never done before. Everything's always Ooh. been like little discrete bits, but this is one one long saga. Amazing. Well, that's very exciting. It is. Thanks. It's funny. I think part of being approachable to people who've never been in a to to uh, lay people such as such yeah. as myself is to make sure that the episodes are you know you don't go too far down a rabbit hole and doing an entire six episode series about one thing I'm like oh wow this is what it means to really just dig until you reach the bottom and it's been very fun and very challenging that's awesome I know oh, that's, that's very, very nebulous exciting. I know I no, hate no, this no. I feel like I feel like when I lived in California and I'd ask people how they are they would be like I'm really like going through changes right now I'd be like what is it like what is the thing like what is it and so i feel like i'm i'm responding in californian vagaries i'm sorry but thank you for no 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 no. (laughs) when people ask us what our new audio fiction shows are going to be about we tend to be like it's gonna maybe have people talking and there will be stories if you're lucky (laughs) so we're all about the vagaries but that is something i'm curious about like to dig into the the process of it obviously no spoilers because like moving from kind of an anthology mindset to a serialized mindset, so many things changes. And I'm, I'm, I'm curious, like how you balance, like maintaining that general interest curiosity with going deeper into a story. Oh, that's such a good question. I don't know. I'm like still trying to figure it out, honestly. And I'm like, I, I don't even know if people want this. But you know, the fun thing was, so I own articles of interest now, like Roman gave it to me and I was pitching it around to various places. And I learned a lot from the pitching process, even though the pitching process, as I'm sure you all well know, like super sucks. <laughs> and every time I got rejected, it was nice that podcasting is still a small enough industry. And like some people said yes, some people said no. And the people who said no, I, I got to ask them like why and en- enough people were like we're not really looking for anthology shows right now we're looking for one continuous show yeah and at first i was like fuck off like that's not what i do but then <laughs> i was looking into this one episode i was like oh my god maybe i should try this like maybe this uh-huh. is something that i could do that's so, really cool i don't know i just kind of see it as a experiment but suffice to say without like getting into details i do think the topic is like deep enough and weird enough to maintain the curiosity that's exciting Thanks. I think there's an article to be written on the five stages of podcasting rejection, because I think absolutely (laughs) one of them is, fuck off, I don't do that. And then eventually, after like a little while, you, this has happened to us as well, you do arrive at, "Mm, that is kind of interesting. (laughs) That's the thing, right? It's not like we're like trained in some sort of school. Like who says you have to podcast one particular way? That's a funny thing. Like now there are all these programs where people can learn podcasting in school, which is amazing. Like I would have killed for that. But also part of me is like, oh my God, is it going to get 
ossified? Is it going to get codified into like different methods and different ways? Because one of the things I like about there not being any rules in this, you know, dark city on the outskirts of town is like, cat thief sure like yep. i've never tried that <laughs> yeah why not we're all we're all doing what we have to do out here <laughs> you're absolutely right though that it is interesting because if you get paid a lot of money to teach something kind of can't go it's all variable and changeable and it varies moment by moment you kind of have to go well here are the rules and here right. are the guidelines and here are the hard limits. And it is fascinating because whenever I talk to someone who has gone through one of these podcast training programs, which usually means that they are startlingly young, by the way, uh. <laughs> I'm always kind of a little bit curious about, so what did you learn? And half the time I hear something that I'm like, that's great. And I'm going to steal that. And half the time I hear something that I'm like, wow, somebody put some crazy stuff in your head. Oh my God. Like somebody really taught you that you can only drive the car in third gear. And I have no idea why they thought that was important. You know, you sound, we, we sound like Werner Herzog at, um, <laughs> what was that? Zach, do you know what I'm talking about? I that don't. one college. I, okay. He, I, he, he just did a masterclass years ago and I have the ad tattooed in my brain where he's like, filmmaking is, is like stealing the bank. You just steal the bank and then the bank is rubbed. And it's just like, it's <laughs> amazing. <laughs> Anything Werner Herzog about film just makes me smile. Oh, I love it so much. I, I forget. He gave like a commencement address at NYU, oh, some God filmmaking Lord. school, and he was like, yeah. get out of here. Steal a camera. Don't let them <laughs> yeah, tell you exactly. what to do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, I, and I feel like, uh, yeah, people have been like, have you ever taught? And I would be like, if I taught, I'd be like, steal a microphone. <laughs> yeah. Roll tape. Make it interesting. <laughs> On that note, I'm really curious. I know you're not a gearhead um, from maybe public talks. I don't know. Uh, I, I've seen some videos. They're very good. Um, oh, thanks. And uh, I, but you historically uh, walked around with a Zoom H2. I'm oh yeah, still curious. do, dude. That's fabulous. I'm curious oh, yeah. if you were to hack for our dear listeners who might be interested in wading into these dark waters, a uh, a life preserver in the shape of a modern day backpack. What would you put in it for, like the sort of aspiring podcaster storyteller? And the answer could be nothing. Fuck your bag. Like use <laughs> use your phone, whatever. Just like focus on story. I'm just curious what your take on this is. I mean, honestly, like, yeah, phone tape is great. Using your phone works really well. But I do think it's helpful to have like a separate object that's not your phone that feels a little mm -hmm. bit more sacred. So that's why I loved using a Zoom H2N. It just sort of like reminded me that I was recording and I recorded everything on that. I made episodes of 99% Invisible on a Zoom H2N, which is how to describe to the listeners. It's so small. I call it my Camry. It's just this short, little, dependable. Mm -hmm. It's great. The sound quality is totally fine. I've like dropped it. I've build stuff on it. It's totally fantastic. And I just feel like there's a perceived barrier to entry to begin. And there are a lot of companies that are invested in telling you that there are barriers to entries to begin. Like you need a certain kind of microphone or you need a certain kind of editing software. And well, I don't know. I actually don't think that's true anymore. I think the pandemic has really, you know, we're like recording on Zoom right now. Yeah. Lord knows they're like all the dirtbag left podcasts sound like they are recorded on a landline in an echoey hallway. <laughs> like it doesn't mm -hmm. matter anymore. So in a weird way. Yeah, I think there's nothing like a nice microphone. I feel like a nice microphone is just like, ah, the best when you can hear, I don't know, you can hear someone's tongue in their mouth. It's just awesome. Like I used to love <laughs> listening to Jonathan Schwartz, you know, that jazz announcer. And you, you could always like hear when he swallowed. 
it was like the mic was in his mouth. I was like, that's so cool. And, you know, in hindsight, I'm like, that's ASMR, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. But so like, yeah, who doesn't love a good microphone? Good microphones are great, but I don't know. It shouldn't be a barrier to start because that shit's expensive. I don't know. What do you use, Zach? Are you a gearhead? Uh, uh, yes, but I, I don't like to identify. <laughs> I mean, the they are fun. That you've sounded in a while, Zach. I know, man. I mean, I just, you know, I, I feel like it's usually a negative attack. <laughs> and I'm just a nerd. Um, but, uh, no, I, I honestly kind of gave up the ghost on like perfection and have really liked like portability and practicality and yeah. uh, this fucking thing. What is it? I got a bunch of them. There's around here somewhere. It's wait, I, show me. What is it? Uh, one sec. I, I'll be right back. Dear listeners, in case you are wondering, what is happening on the screen right now is fascinating. But I don't know. It's funny because I feel like gearhead conversations, I guess this goes back to our whole conversations about podcasts in general, right? Like they are fun. Like mm-hmm. I do love to nerd out. Yeah. But that's not for like a general audience. So <laughs> I always keep I it uh, in my bag. Dear listeners, Zach is holding up a case. from. Um, it's this uh, little... Z- zoom f2 bt situation it's just like a little lav thing i got excited about it because it's like fits up your butt two bit fl- well i mean <laughs> i mean there's that <laughs> you, you'd have to take off some the uh clip-ons but uh, that's on you dude <laughs> uh, hey <laughs> i hear practice makes perfect but um so uh yeah i just i like that it is tiny and uh records forever on a tiny card and has that 32-bit float thing which i don't understand but i do appreciate that like you can kind of forget about setting levels and just like let it rip and and so you use later. that when you're like in doing like a spatial piece like with fiction uh, no, no, we haven't gone that far with it yet. That uh, is maybe something we'd consider. We haven't talked about it, but uh, you could certainly get away with a lot of stuff. I would probably use it as backup and, and get like a boom in there. But uh, yeah, no, that that is my new fave. Previously, I, I used to like see how good a deal on eBay I could get on uh, the old Electro Voice 160 something. Those like little, you know, those like sort of hammer mics. I forget the exact model number, 160 something. I don't know. Our, our guy who used to record Wolf at the the start of, of that show put me onto them and they're just like tanks. I love that. Also, so wait, you just lav like you lav up guests just for conversations. Yeah. Friends, family, myself. Um, Strangers on the street. Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever been to uh, the Louis Armstrong house? No. It's in Queens. It's in Corona. And it's so cool because Louis Armstrong would do that. He would just was recording all the time yeah. and not just music, just conversations with people. And the best, best part of going to his house. Well, the okay, the best, best part is the decor. The decor of the house is like, oh, <laughs> uh, amazing amazing the rugs are leopard print the bathrooms are totally mirrored i don't know what you would call the aesthetic it's definitely like queens something like mid-century queens looks like how my grandparents decorated but like very funky and the best part is they play you these recordings that Louis Armstrong made of just like conversations with people in his life in the rooms where he made the recordings. So you're listening. There's this one recording that they played of him just like recording a note with some errant thoughts. And then he like plays a little trumpet and he was doing it in his study. And you're like in the study study. where he made the recording. So it feels like a ghost. That's wild. It feels like you are. It is the most singular sensation and yeah and apparently the archives are just publicly available of just like him shooting the shit with 
everyone. You can just like go to their, they've archived it and they've labeled it. And I was like, I got to find a way to do this more just to have yeah. this stuff. So that's so cool that you're collecting all this material for the uh, Zach Valenti House Museum. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. This is super cool. You it's bet so I'm cool. It's like my new favorite archive. place. Oh my god, it's incredible. No, Thank I need to plan that. a visit. This place looks amazing. Avery, this has been amazing. Before we let you go, I did want to briefly sort of do the like very very fast fast forward tour through another one of your projects, which is Nice Try, which has kind of been an exploration about different kinds of utopias, um, mostly failed utopias or aspirational utopias over the course of human history. So since we're doing this in the Blitz version, just, you know, what can we learn about utopias? Are they possible? How do we aspire to them? And how do we arrive there in a timely fashion? Oh, glad you asked. Um, <laughs> you know, no, no, no. Funny... I, think, I, think, I think in general, I would just sort of, the actual question is kind of what first drew you to that project? Like sort of what was it that kind of like you found fascinating about that? I mean, I'll be honest, like Curbed reached out to me. They were like, mm. do you want to host this series about failed utopias? And um, it was always something that I felt like, you know, we would get pitches at 99% Invisible about failed utopias all the time. And we're like, these stories are all kind of the really? same. You know, like someone has a vision and then amasses followers and it turns out they're corrupt and the whole utopia falls apart. And so we tended to stray away from those. <laughs> turns out they'd gotten 600 million yen for uh, relief yeah. funds and were trying to put a scam together. Oh, my God. Right. Maybe they're trying to start a separatist community with the with the money. Um <laughs> But yeah, I felt like I felt like what do they say about music? Like if you make a mistake, just repeat it. Mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. It felt like hmm. this this podcast seemed like such a fun idea because in examining these stories side by side overtly, maybe you'd start to see like the differences between them and maybe there oh, be yeah. some lessons in there. And I think, you know, the big caveat I say is that a lot of these. How do I put this? I think a lot about the tyranny of story and how mm -hmm. something only gets told if it's interesting. Yeah. And that there probably are ways to live communally that just aren't documented because they're boring, because it yep. just involves like bureaucracies and chore wheels and petty huh? arguments, and it's not a very good story, and this place has just been like chugging along. So I don't want to rule right, out the possibility sort of, like, big of utopia. dramatic conflict to anchor right. it and make it listenable, yeah. Right, so I don't want to be like, utopias don't exist. <laughs> I think you know heaven is a place where nothing ever happens and i think right. if there is one it probably stays secret by virtue of being absolutely you know riddled with tedium but i guess that was my main <laughs> takeaway is that like if if that's your definition of utopia it that does not exist whether it is you know following the whims of one leader or going to collective meetings that last four hours there's always going to be a part of it that you don't like none of yep. these communities just got to like sit back and relax and have everything go exactly the way they wanted right. to. That's like the premise of like thinking about all these. I was like, oh, it comes down to governance. Basically, it's just like, do you want a rep representative democracy? Do you want a dictator? Like pick your fighter. It's all the same problems <laughs> we face in like our macro societies on right. a smaller scale. So I don't know. Bit of a bummer. But also kind of nice to be like, we're all we're all trying. We're all trying. I, I thought it was a fascinating bummer. And I think that that's a terrific <laughs> way to look at it on the other side. Well, thanks.
Thank you for listening. Thank you for the questions. Very touched. Of course. No, and thank you for coming on and being on the show. If people want to find more of your work and listen to the stuff that you've done, uh, what is the best way to do that? Where should they go? On my website, which is AveryTruffleman.com, I made a Spotify playlist of every episode of everything I've ever made. Amazing. The thoroughness. Yeah, just because I was like, it's all over the place. I want to put it all in one spot. All right, dear listeners, you heard it here first. The hard work is done for you. You just need to go to the website and click on it and be taken away. (laughs) Thank you. This has been No Bad Ideas, produced by Gabrielle Urbina, Sarah Shackett, and Zach Valenti. Many thanks to our patrons for their partnership in making this show happen. And a special shout out to our idealist members, Jennifer Schneider, Rena Sarame, Jeffrey Felsher, and Dia. Today's episode features music by Statesher and Jazar from freemusicarchive.org. You can support the show at nobadideaspodcast.com slash support. And if you love this show, please leave a rating or review wherever you listen and share it with someone you love.